0: Today, in current events from a Christian perspective, a woman, quote unquote, pastor says, the Apostle Paul, remember the Apostle Paul, the one who met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus? Yeah, that guy, he is really just apparently a jerk. <laughs> Never mind he wrote almost half the New Testament and had his spiritual and literal physical eyes healed by Jesus himself in that encounter. Apparently, according to this lady, he's just a jerk because he doesn't let me do what I want to do. He keeps telling me I can't sleep around and can't get drunk and can't go out and party. He's just such a downer. I can't lie or cheat or steal anymore. And of course, not that I would ever, but murder apparently is also right out, even babies, I guess. Anyway, we'll look at that crazy story and so much more today in current events from a Christian perspective. I'm Matt Odegaard and this is Church Public. Welcome back to Church Public. Again, I'm your host, Matt Odegaard, as always, and really appreciate you stopping by today. If this is helpful to you by the end, if you want to hit the like button, the subscribe button, if you want to leave a five-star review, I appreciate that too. If you want to share this with some friends, that's always helpful. And of course, if you want to support, go to churchpublic.com support, bringing you current events from a Christian perspective so that you can live out your faith in day-to-day life, which more and more is just becoming crazy town, which we're seeing and we'll see in this first clip. So this particular person, Pastrix, girl, whatever, um, she identifies herself. I'll let her do that. But she says there's a passage in first Corinthians that's just quote unquote, yikes, because Pastor Paul is just a jerk or something. Anyway, let's take a listen.
1: Father, Ken already introduced me a little bit, but I just wanted to say hi and say thank you. My name is Pastor L. I use pronouns like she or they.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I'm going to try not to pause too much, but if your quote-unquote pastor is introducing themselves with pronouns you might want to take another look at where you are. Let's keep listening.
1: I'm a campus minister in Chicago for a joint Lutheran Episcopal campus ministry downtown on the Loop, where I also pastor to a group of unhoused folks. Um, before we get started, we, I wanted to just name something, too, uh, from the reading from Corinthians. You might have noticed that we didn't read one part out loud, and that's because it's yikes. So um, putting that reading in original context, um, Paul himself uh, was a Jewish man, right? And so there were sort of inter-Jewish conversations and disagreements about the role of Jesus and what that means. Uh, But really, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul's being kind of a jerk, both about Jewish people and about the Greeks. And even more important than his original intent is the way that verses like that have been used throughout the ages to harm our Jewish siblings.
0: Yeah. um, Okay, so we'll just start here. If you're skipping Bible passages because they're quote-unquote yikes or perhaps too harsh for you or you think the writer is a jerk, I'm just going to extend to you perhaps it's not the Bible that's yikes. Perhaps you don't want to believe what the Bible says. You don't want to live in the way the Bible is asking you to live because you want to live the way you want to live this particular person is saying that Paul is bad, I think mostly because he tells us what God's will is for morality, for holy living, and those who are not living in a righteous or a holy way are very offended by this. I mean, I don't know, she doesn't say, uh, by the way, this clip is brought by protestia.com. Um, I I don't know which passage she is reading from. I mean, there's a lot of offensive stuff in 1 Corinthians because the Corinthians were not doing a great job following God and living a holy and righteous life. So Paul kind of says, hey, you guys need to get your act together. It's actually a great book of the Bible for us these days, too, because if we're not living the right way, according to the way God would have us live, it's also important for us to get our act together. And that can be very offensive because we don't like to be told what to do. It's just the reality of the human condition. So I don't know which passage she's talking about. I don't know if she's talking about, you know, chapter uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 5, verse 9, I've written you not to associate with sexually immoral people or reading on the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Um, And he says, you know, if they're a drunkard or a slanderer, don't even eat with these people. That's pretty offensive. We're told to quote-unquote, love everybody, and Paul's saying, yeah, you don't want to become like those people, so stop hanging out with those people. Um, Again, not to not love them, but to live a perfect and holy life and make sure that you're living well, not getting sucked into this crazy lifestyle that this culture wants you to live in. Or perhaps it's chapter 6, verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. We already heard the pronouns, you know, if you're promoting the LGBT inclusive lifestyle as a positive good in church, you're not living a holy and righteous life and that's sexually immoral. So that's very offensive to this person in this culture. So I can see how you can say it's yikes, but you have to choose what you're going to do. Are you going to read the Bible and do what it says or make up your own thing? And sure, there are a lot of other sins that we even just heard Paul talk about, but we don't glorify those. That's the difference. You don't say, wow, you are so brave and bold for being a wife-beater. Welcome to church. Of course, we don't do that. But many church people, church leaders like this, do say certain communities are brave and bold and wonderful for living their truth instead of living God's truth. And that's kind of a problem. We have to live according to the word, or else we're not living according to the word. That was back to, again, if you read in Acts, where Paul encounters Jesus himself, Paul is doing a bunch of things in his life that are not great, and Jesus himself confronts him and says, hey, start living the right way, which he does, and then leads the charge, writing almost half of the New Testament for us to read through and know how to live the right way. This should be self-explanatory. It's not always easy to live in the right way. But it's pretty clear on how to do that. And I'd say uh, I was thinking about this before I was uh, filming, and uh, this C.S. Lewis quote came to mind from uh, things from The Great Divorce. I wrote it down here in a second. Uh, Chapter 9, The Great Divorce. Yeah, he said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Of course, the difference here is as far as it could be. Either you're following after God and doing what he has for you, or you're doing what you want to do, and the end result is much different in each of those. And right at the end there, you may have heard this, but this particular leader talks about the Jewish siblings. There's a lot to unpack here, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but, but I'll be as brief as I can and say, yes, a believer in Christ can have a Jewish sibling, but only if that Jewish sibling is in Christ. This is the same thing as me saying I have a Hindu sibling or a Muslim sibling. We don't believe the same things about the Messiah and eternity and salvation. How can we be siblings? But this particular leader wants us to believe that we're all just siblings, Jews and Gentiles and Greeks, and we're all just siblings. But but that's not true. And (laughs) we'll go back again to the apparently controversial author and evangelist, Paul the Apostle, who wrote to the Romans and to us. "...for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not for men, but from God." Romans 2, 28 through 29. In other words, Jews in the new kingdom are not God's people now because of the laws they keep. You cannot keep enough laws to make yourself holy. This becomes very clear, actually, in a few verses, which I'll read for you in a moment. The Jews are not God's people now because of their heritage. They're God's people now when they believe in Jesus Christ and call him Lord. Paul makes this abundantly clear through the rest of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. And kind of culminating in this chapter 3 verse, which maybe you've heard, I'll read a couple before that, and Paul says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. In other words... The law does not save you. The law shows you where you need to be saved. He continues, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith for all those who believe. So, pausing there in Paul's letter to the Romans, in order to have connection, relationship with God, have that salvation, we have to have it through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the only way. Paul goes on to say in this verse, there is no distinction. You probably know this one for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we love all people. We, of course, preach the gospel to them, Jesus in Matthew 28. However, as Christians, we don't have siblings in other faiths. We don't have siblings in other places. You have to have faith in Christ. As Paul makes clear, even the Jews without Christ are like the others without Christ. And of course, we want to keep evangelizing. We want to keep telling people about Jesus but Christ is the culmination of all of that. So we need to keep preaching Christ to all who will hear. Speaking of being without Christ, got to come back to this story. Uh, You may or may not remember it, but this was, I think, January 2023. There was this golden abortion statue, this god-awful looking thing that was placed on the top of the New York courthouse in order to show solidarity with abortion and Satan or something. Um, And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if you are just listening, it has this apparently like little frilly thing that Ruth Bader Ginsburg liked to wear. So in January of 2023, it was installed in the courthouse of a New York City court. And now I guess it's doing a traveling show. So it is currently on its way to, of all places, Houston, Texas. It was, as I mentioned, it used to be on the top. Here's a picture of the top of the New York courthouse. And now it is on the road heading to Houston, Texas, is, again, looking at this statue, if you're just listening, I will describe its gaudy awfulness to you and that it is a clearly female statue with satanic male goat horns. It was originally put up in place uh, for the honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It has the frilly f- thing and then goat horns and all kinds of weird spirally arms, and it's just gaudy and awful. But anyway... The University of Houston will display this statue with the satanic imagery to honor abortion and memorialize the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well. Uh, According to the artist, this idol, named Witness, is an eight-foot-tall naked female figure with braids shaped like goat horns and arms like tentacles. Its judicial lace collar mirrors Ginsburg's recognizable style, as I mentioned. So it debuted in New York last year, co-commissioned by Madison Square Park Conservancy and Public Art of University of Houston System. So now it's headed this direction and the statue will be on display at the Cullen Family Plaza at University of Houston from February 28th through October 31st. Executive Director and Chief Curator of Public Art at the University of Houston, Dr. Maria Gatsambide, said she is proud to bring the statue to fruition. She says, quote, The artist, Shanzia, demonstrates how justice is conceptually and actively vibrant towards all cultures and genders. And yet, while the necessity of justice is universal, it is often blindly applied, end quote. As I was reading through this, I was struck by that last sentence. Justice is often blindly applied. And the connotation here is that's bad. It's bad that justice is blindly applied. But wait. (laughs) Isn't it good that justice is blind? Just to remind you, and for those listeners, I'm now showing a picture of Justice, Lady Justice, who is blind. She literally has a blindfold on. And the point of her having a blindfold on is very intentional because justice should not be based on race or sex or power or money or anything. Once you start applying conditions to justice, it's inherently not fair, right? If you get better treatment because of your race or sex or gender or wealth or power or anything, now justice is not fair and you win more than other people. How, how, how have we forgotten this? Do you like being treated unfairly? I don't. Then why would we intentionally treat someone unfairly? That means, yeah, maybe someone gets treated more fairly, but that means the other person gets treated much more unfairly. This is not not real justice. It's clearly not biblical justice, where throughout the Bible, from the Old to the New Testament, God says he hates partiality. He hates when judges choose someone based on some outer circumstance rather than on the facts of the matter. The facts are much more important. And this just brings me right back to critical race theory. I've talked on and on about that. I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of it at this time. But if you want to go back in the archives, I have a whole bunch of critical race theory resources there you can go and listen to. I'll just give you this one, quoting Ibram X. Kendi, whose birth name, by the way, is Henry Rogers. But he says, quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. I'll pause there and say, so to fix discrimination, you have to discriminate more. He doesn't even stop there and says, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. I'll pause again and say, that means if you were hurt in the past, you got to hurt somebody right now. And then it continues on saying, quote, the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. End quote. And I'll pause there again and say, this means that if you were hurt in the past or hurt now, you are justified in hurting people in the future. This is really bad. Like from, from a culture standpoint, From a civilization standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, his solution to racism, racial discrimination and justice is more discrimination and more prosecution of those whom you think are bad. Rather than actually just applying justice equally across the board to whomever, no matter what they are or look like or do or come from or the money or the power or anything, you just apply the law evenly. Yes, I know in real life this is difficult and sometimes there are mistakes made, but is it better to create your foundation all wiggly and and wackily so that some people, based on the way they look or their power or their money or their fame or whatever, get more treatment and some people get less treatment? Or is it better to set your foundation flat and say, yeah, this is going to get messed up sometimes, but we should probably try to do the best we can in leveling it out. I hope the latter is your choice, but apparently in this world, that's not the reality. The saddest part of this whole statue is that it represents women's power through abortion. That's the inherent symbolism in the statue. It's intentionally crafted to represent the power of women through abortion. But that's so sad. That means the statue is devoid of life, principally because it cannot conceive. It 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 The statue promotes the very superpower that women possess, which is to bring life into the world. But this statue and its supporters are pushing a world in which that power, that life-giving power, is taken away in pursuit of a day job, I guess. Not to mention the ability to kill babies. It's just, to me, truly tragic. All right. Let's keep going. Speaking of tragedy, this is just a sad story to me about the state of affairs. This uh, United Kingdom pastor was convicted of the ter- terrible crime of, wait for it, holding up this Bible verse. So again, if you're just listening, I'm showing you a picture of this United Kingdom pastor who is standing there with a Bible verse printed on a board, and he was convicted of a crime uh, for having this Bible verse. We have talked before about these zones in the United Kingdom where you're not allowed to protest, especially if you're in sight or anywhere around an abortion clinic. Excuse me, You cannot pray silently, you obviously can't speak publicly, and now you can't hold up a sign with a Bible verse on it. This article is via the Christian Post. This particular person, Stephen Green, was prosecuted by the Ealing Council after he held this sign outside of an abortion clinic run by MSI Reproductive Choices. The sign carried the words of Psalm 139, 13. I'll put it up here again for you. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. In the more um, uh, recent translation, you knew me before I was born. It's a great verse You you, you that shows God's sovereignty and shows that God's, God cares about the unborn, but... This abortion clinic is subject to Public Spaces Protection Order, PSBO, that bans any act of disapproval of abortion, including praying, reading from the Bible, as I mentioned, and, of course, now holding up Bible signs. The judgment was handed down by District Judge Catherine Vargas and she said that although Green's protest had been quote-unquote peaceful, his actions were not proportionate, end quote. Not proportionate. So, this pastor is saying, hey, we should not kill babies. For that, he's holding up a sign that says, God knew you before you were born. That is not a proportionate action to try to stop the murder of babies. This is the world that we're in, people. And yeah, you'll say this is England. It's never going to come here. No, it is. And it will. And it will continue to go that direction. Quote, this this extract of the the psalm mentioning my mother's womb was an act of protest of abortion. There were less controversial verses you could have chosen to display. I can come to no other conclusion that the verse was an act of disapproval of abortion services, an act prohibited by the PSPO, she said. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, this pastor who believes in life, which we all should, is saying... You shouldn't end life. Yeah, but apparently this is prohibited by the PSPO. Therefore, he is um, out of compliance and he now has a one year conditional discharge, which apparently is something like probation and owes somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,400 pounds. You can do the conversion yourself. Green is being supported by the Christian Legal Crime Center, which is great. He plans to appeal. The conviction said he would, quote, rather go to prison than pay the costs imposed by the court, end quote. And good on him for that. I think that's wonderful. He went on to say, quote, as a Christian, I should be able to preach freely all over the land. I'll pause there and say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about constantly. You should be able to have your faith. Um, who continues Psalm 139 is about how we all belong to God from conception. Buffer zones, and this conviction is a direct attack on the Bible and free speech. I'm gonna pause there again and say, yes, yes, it is. Are you allowed to have free speech? Are you allowed to say what you want to say, or are you not? Clearly, in this instance and many others that I've brought where people have been arrested for silently praying in their head, etc., it is not legal to have free speech, to share the Bible, to share the truth. Of scripture. He went on to fi- to finish, I have no choice but to continue to defend myself and my fight for justice, end quote. Yeah, this is where we are. You can skip verses in church if, if you want, as this first pastrix said, or you can put up satanic statues wherever you want, as we see in New York and now Houston, Texas. And if you actually read or pray or write out a real Bible verse, no debate, straight to jail. Right to jail, right away. This is just apparently where we are in our world now and we have to figure out how to live in light of that. So that brings us to debate. How do we debate? How do we walk through this with people who just don't agree with us in any way and shout all kinds of things? Well, this may seem like a left turn, but this is connected because this particular, uh, I think it's a professor, does a masterclass on how to debate and it's really, really good. It happens to be about J.K. Rowling and how J.K. Rowling has been called a transphobe and a TERF. Um, and uh, and there's this battle against J.K. In, in the Harry Potter world and all this other thing. I won't get into all that. What I want to do is watch a little bit of this. I don't know exactly how much we'll watch. We'll start it. And this teacher, professor, talks to this student about the ideas they have. And I think it is an excellent example how to deal with people who just want to destroy you. Let's listen.
2: So these guys want to talk about JK Rowling? Is, is that, so what's going on with that? What do you want to know? Uh, she's,
3: she's had a pretty controversial past. I just want to know like, what are your thoughts on it? And like, do you still like her work despite
2: her uh, bigoted opinions? So let's get specific though. Let's define bigoted opinions. What opinions are bigoted? We're going to treat this as a thought experiment. I'm not going to say what's right or wrong or which way to think. The whole point is to learn how to think, not what to think.
0: Just going to pause there and say that's a fantastic approach so far. So there was an assertion made. This particular person, J.K. Rowling, in this instance, is bigoted and terrible and whatever. This, um, this professor is going, well, OK, let's think about how to process critically not just what you're doing, let's listen more.
2: yeah, yeah. so when you say big you, you're you're starting with the conclusion that, given her bigoted opinions, yeah, so first her, let's uh, start with does she have bigoted opinions so when when you say bigoted opinions... she
3: has had a history of being extremely transphobic, I've heard and so, hey, you've heard so what can you give me an example? Uh, if you look at her Twitter, I think um, you could see a few things um, if you want, I could try and find yeah, see if you
2: can find see if you can find one so.
0: Okay, I'm going to pause there again because this is a really great point and a really neat thing that happens here. And that is that this particular student who's off camera and you can't see says she's bigoted and has these terrible opinions. The professor pushes back and says, how, why? What, like, show me an example of this claim that you're making. And the student says, well, but there is one, essentially, (laughs) has no answer in the moment and says, maybe I can find one. And so if you're just listening on the screen, it says a few minutes later. So not only is there no evidence at that moment, it takes minutes to find any evidence so far. And then we get to this. Let's listen.
3: One of these tweets that she came out with in 2019, she said, dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who will have you... Um, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for starting that, for stating that sex is real. So you find that bigoted? What do you find about it? It was, it was deemed transphobic. Like, I myself. Do you find that transphobic yourself? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just going with what. A lot of other people have said. So let's of,
2: pause it. Let's not go with what other people are saying. Let's try and learn how to critically think. So let's analyze the tweet ourselves. So that statement, do you see anything problematic?
0: Before the answer, I'm just going to pause and give a little bit of mystery there and say, what a great way to handle it. That at first, so first, student says, this person is, is, is bigoted and terrible. Hey, give me the proof. I don't have any yet. Okay, here's a little proof. Okay, do you think this is bigoted and terrible? Well, I don't have an opinion. You brought it up, sir. So what is your opinion on this? Then finally gets to the answer, pulls the answer out and the person says, well, I mean, I don't, but other people do. Then why are you saying it? If you don't agree, what are you agreeing with? And the answer is you don't know. You're just saying something that you heard and you're repeating it because you want to get on the bandwagon of piling on top of somebody that you don't like rather than thinking for yourself and finding out the decision for yourself if something is right or wrong. And I see this all the time, everywhere. This is an excellent example of how it goes. So I told you I would play for you uh, the answer, and this is, do you think this person is bigoted yourself? Answer,
2: disregarding other people's opinions.
3: Um, she did try and pin some things on a, spe- a specific group of per- of people. Where does, she, where does she do that? do that? Can you read that? But okay. force women out of their jobs for stating that sex
2: is real. So when I hear that, I'm interpreting that as meaning if a woman says that, you know, saying that there is a difference between men and female, and then being attacked as transphobic, I think that's what she's saying by it attacking someone for stating that sex is real that is exactly what she's saying is that transphobic to you
3: so to me no stating that sex is real is not transphobic
0: and i just have to pause there again and say right you that this is this is what happens you there's this crazy assertion they're calling someone names they're calling you names and you're like well who says that why how does that work this goes on and on. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I do want to. I do want to come to another video that I showed a few months ago because it's another example of this. And I think while we're on this topic, we should see another example of how this is done and the attempt by some to just denigrate you and crush you and tell you how terrible you are and call you all the ists and the isms and the phobias and all this thing when you haven't necessarily done anything except for point out what is real in real life. So this is Pierre Polivre, um, uh, who is a Canadian politician, and he was in an interview eating an apple. Uh, you, if you watched um, this uh, episode from me, you, this will be a little familiar. I won't play the whole thing, but but it is a great example of the same thing when they come at you with these unfounded, ridiculous accusations, inventing straw men, calling you all sorts of names. What do you do? How do you deal with that? Let's listen to this Um, on the on the topic. I mean, in terms of your, by the way, I just sorry, I left it play. But but if you're just listening uh, or if you're watching, you hear that crunch. And that is him just eating an apple because he's so disinterested in these ridiculous questions that are coming. And I love that because it shows the appropriate level of respect for a person who is trying to just destroy you. And you're like, why? What are you doing? What do you mean? Let's listen to this sort of strategy. Currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway.
2: Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, a- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly that? you Too certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh,
0: left wing, you know, this and that. Right wing, they you know. I mean, this. I just get to pause there, like so. So first there are like some lobs, some accusations. Then then the, <laughs> the the interviewer like can't even come up he's so discombobulated by somebody saying, Well, who said like what? What are you talking about? Well this and that, you know. You you did a this and that thing. And you sit there and go, What are you talking about? Like this what's this and that? It's that that type I almost of ideological I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot of people I don't pe- really believe in that.
2: Okay. A lot of people would, would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, book. Like which people would say that?
0: Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but. like a, gr- a great many. A great many. He says, like who? Who? <laughs> I don't know who, but. <laughs> it's just so good because he's like, all oh, there There are people who call you these names. Oh, yeah. How, how, what, what people? Well, all the people. Who Who? Give me a name. Well you're the uh, one who asked the question, so yeah. you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, some the the point of this the point of this question is So I won't play you the rest of the clip. You kinda of get the idea. But but this is the thing, right? They're going to call you the names, they're gonna call you the isms, the is all the things. They're gonna they're going to talk down to you. They're going to I mean, especially if you're in biblical world, they're going to push in on you on this, and you just have to understand like they're going to do these things, and the a good response from both of these guys is ask questions. Why do you say that? How do you know that? Who says that? What makes you think that? These are great great methods for pushing back and making the accuser define the terms and think about the accusations. and And you see in these both these instances, the accuser's like uh or uh they start saying nonsense words because they haven't really thought about it. They haven't really done their homework. They're just throwing bombs at you. These are great methods for pushing the accuser back and making them think about those accusations. And if someone does accuse you of something, you need to not feel the the necessity to defend yourself. Instead, probe to figure out if the accusation is even real. Maybe it is, but in a lot of these instances, it just isn't. And if they bring up something, what you need to understand is it's their job to defend it and make them. Don't jump into defense and try to make all these excuses and make their case for them. Instead, say, well, why would you think that? Tell me more about that. Why would you put that accusation out there? Where did that accusation come from? Who is saying that? Is someone saying that? Um, Make them defend it and don't accept these wild accusations. Push for definitions and facts and support. Keep a level head. Just keep eating your apple, just relaxing in the fact that if you are going to be slandered, but as long as you haven't done the thing that you're slandered for, you can stand tall. All right, let's keep going. Um, You know, (laughs) we talked about this satanic abortion statue going from New York to Houston, Texas. And we have to go back and talk about this this Satan statue, this actual statue of Satan in the state capitol, of Iowa again. Listen, I'm tired of talking about this. You probably are too, but it keeps on going. This is the story that just won't die. So you may remember this uh, statue of Satan that it popped out, uh, popped up in the Iowa state capitol over Christmas. Again, if you're listening, here's a picture of the statue had like a mirror ball head and candles and all the other thing. And then The statue was destroyed by a gentleman. I'll tell you his name in a moment. And we discovered that the, the statue was made of pool noodles and like plastic bags and all this other shenanigans. But anyway, now a proposed bill would ban public displays of Satan worship in Iowa. What a fantastic bill, right? So as a reminder, the statue was brought to the Capitol by the Satanic Temple of Iowa under state rules, apparently allowing religious displays in the building during the holidays though I would challenge that. At any rate, December 14th, the figure depicting the horned deity Baphomet with the mirror ball head was destroyed beyond repair, according to the group, and the man accused of destroying it has now been charged with a hate crime, which we talked about on the last episode. His name is Michael Cassidy, former congressional and legislative candidate from Mississippi, and he was charged the next day with fourth-degree criminal mischief, misdemeanor, and now this hate crime. He told the website The Sentinel... Quote, my conscience is held captive to the word of God, not to bureaucratic decree, so I acted, end quote. So, now, State Senator Sandy Salmon, uh, here's a picture of her. She introduced Bill SF-2210, a bill that would ban, quote, satanic displays or the practice of Satanism on state property, end quote. Fantastic, right? This bill 2210 says displays, symbols, the practice of satanic worship shall not be allowed on public property, public schools, or any state-owned property. Again, this is great. For one, uh, for any of those who missed the last several episodes, go and listen. I go long into why it just, you do not have this freedom of religion to worship Satan. You don't. I know there's a lot of squishy conservatives, squishy Republicans, even squishy pastors who are saying, well, We just need to be nice and we just need to allow the worship of whoever you want to worship, wherever you want to worship. No, no, we don't. That has never been a thing in America and it's not a thing now. You have a constitutional right to worship and not have that infringed. You do not have a constitutional right to put up statues of Satan. You just don't. And by the promoters, this church of Satan or this temple of Satan, whatever it is, by their own admission, it's not a religion and they don't even acknowledge there's a God or a real Satan. So by definition, you cannot worship something that's not a God and not even real. And even if you could, we have never had that weird provision in America. Every state, every state had a blasphemy clause and blasphemy laws. Many had harsh punishments. Many of those laws are still in the books today. And those that removed the laws only did so in the last several decades. Americans have long known that God is God and and since the founding it has been enshrined in our Constitution and other documents in some instances we have tolerated other religions peacefully which is fine but never endorsed them at a state level especially worshiping Satan so what I wanted to do is read uh, a couple more things from this book that I happen to have uh if you're if you're listening if you're if you're just if you're uh, listening, I'll read it. If you're watching, it's it's a rather big book, but but it's it's fantastic. The book itself is about the Christian history of the Constitution of the United States of America, but it goes through all kinds of different things. This one happens to be an excerpt from the book Church and State in the United States by Philip Schaff from 1888, so more than a hundred years before now, and around a hundred years after the nation's founding. So I think that's interesting, and we need to understand that. So. This particular section has to do with religious freedom. So I think this is interesting. I hope you find it interesting too. He says, True liberty is a positive force regulated by law, false liberty is a negative force released from restraint. I'm going to pause there and say that means that when you have liberty, it is freedom within the law, not freedom from the law. That's a very important distinction. You can't just say, I can do whatever I want no matter what. That's never been the case. That is just anarchy, and anarchy at every level, in every instance, leads to all-out destruction of everything, death, and ultimately tyranny, because it cannot last. I'll continue on. True liberty is the moral power of self-government. The liberty of infidels and anarchists is carnal licentiousness. In other words, if you are just an anarchist and want to tear everything down, because you do, it just leads to destruction. I'll continue on. The American separation of church and state rests on respect for the church. The infidel separation, on the other hand, it rests on indifference and hatred of the church and of religion itself. This is an important point and why there is a difference inherently in, for instance, having a nativity in a capital and having a statue of Satan. Those are different things with different ends for different means. And we all used to know this, but apparently now we don't. I'll read a little bit more. The infidel theory was tried and failed in the first revolution of France It began with toleration, ended with the abolition of Christianity and the reign of terror, which in turn prepared the way for military despotism as the only means of saving society from anarchy and ruin. So for those of you that don't know and don't know French history, this is how the French revolution began. It is completely different from the revolution in America that sought to codify the code of law with freedom of religion Into law so that you could live in self-government with freedom of religion. The French way was different, and they said you could live however you wanted to live, whenever you want, wherever you want. And what happened? It started with this word, toleration. They tolerated everything and said everything is okay. And what did that lead to? Christianity was outlawed. Many, many Christians, pastors, priests were killed because of this. And it created absolute anarchy where the government had to come in and take forceful control. Not great. Goes on to say our infidels and anarchists would react, reenact this tragedy if they should ever get the power. I think it's important to point out that people, based on human nature, just keep trying to do this same thing. They profess their hatred and contempt of our Sunday laws, our Sabbath, our church, all of our religious institutions and societies. Let us beware of them. The American system grants freedom also to irreligion and infidelity, but only within the limits of the order and safety of society. In other words, if you aren't a Christian, that's fine, but you still have to play within the rules of the society at large. You have to be within the laws. You cannot make up your own things. You cannot worship Satan, which... Stands for anarchy and destruction, and pretend that that's the same thing as abiding by the laws of the land. Those are two things that are at odds by by necessity. They just are inherently at odds, and that's what we have to understand about these two different things: the nativity, the birth of Christ, and Satan. They're not the same. They don't have the same goals. They don't have the same ends. They do not have the same means. Um, I'll read a little bit more. I know you're probably getting tired of me reading this, but. The destruction of religion would be the destruction of morality and the ruin of the state. Civil liberty requires for its support religious liberty, and it cannot prosper without it. Religious liberty is not an empty sound, but an orderly exercise of religious duties and enjoyment from all privileges. If you missed that, here's the sum up, and it's really good. This is freedom in religion, not freedom from religion. As True civil liberty is freedom in law, not freedom from law. This is the thing we have to understand. Laws are there, they're important, and they do hold standards, and you have to live within those standards. If you go outside of those standards, you should have justice applied equally to you. The same is true in religion. You should be within the religion and living in that. That is the freedom that you have. It's not freedom to do whatever you want. And in fact, this is a very biblical understanding. This is the verse that I pulled up for today. Again, it's from 1 Corinthians, which to some is very controversial and apparently uh, mean. But I would say it's fantastic because it reminds us what we need to do. Paul tells us, I have the right to do anything, but everything is not beneficial. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Corinthians 10. And it's important to understand that in both places, it's kind of the same. And that is, you can do whatever you want. Actually, in Christ, you have that freedom. However, everything you do has different consequences, and not everything is good, either for you or for others. And that's the reality of it. So, you should do the things that are good for yourself and for others. That's the inherent implication here, both in the Bible and in law and in life. You should live the right way because it's the right thing to do. But more and more, this world is saying, nah, let's just put up Satan because it's all the same anyway. I'll just end with no, it's really not. <laughs> For Church Public, I'm Matt Odegaard. I hope that you will keep the faith. Once again, thank you so much for joining me here on Church Public Today. As always, if this is helpful to you, hit the like button, give a good five-star review. You can hit the subscribe and the notification buttons. If you want to send this to a friend and that's helpful, please do that. And you can support at churchpublic.com support. Hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you next time.